Welcome to Bleacher Blum, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now, the current master of banter for the Houston Astros television broadcast team, Blummer. We're back. Bleachers are open. It's been a good week. A lot going on. Finally, finally, for the love of all that is holy, we cannot focus on the NFL, the NBA, because there is actual action going on around Major League Baseball. The hot stove is lit. Uh, I think that's a, a millennial. Is it? Okay? I don't even know if I'm a boomer or not. I'm not a boomer, but all that boomer talk going around. So this this hot stove is lit. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the Major League Baseball signings later in this podcast, obviously, because we are in the bleachers on Bleacher Blums. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran of baseball. Now I broadcast for the Houston Astros, full disclosure. And my good buddy David Tuttle is out there on the left coast representing also some baseball. He played when he was uh, playing in college. Team USA, minor league baseballs, uh, part of some several big trades, just didn't quite get that break. But you know what? The break is now. He is on the podcast, and we are coming at you weekly on the Bleacher Blums podcast, and we are enjoying it. Fans have been doing a very good job, and I think a little bit of it has to do with the fact that the Astros are constantly in the news with sign stealing. I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Major League Baseball is continuing to have the dialogue as far as free agency, some big signings. There's actually news you're looking forward to each day. The winter meetings are going on right now. And I think Tuttle and I actually have a little bit of FOMO right now because I think next year, if things go well enough and fans continue to listen to our podcast, we might try and venture out to a winter meeting and try and enjoy the festivities of being out there. But I also think that people are tuning in because of me and Tuttle. Tuttle and I are great, man. What do you think, Tuttle? you think we have any impact on why people are turning this podcast on? I hope so. I mean, you just mentioned <laughs> it's my big break, so I didn't realize this was my my break for the big time. But, uh, yeah, I hope so. I mean, the the we have a steady growth, which I think is what you always um, are looking for. And above all, it's not necessarily about sound quality or technology. It's really about the content, and the feedback has been outstanding in terms of the content. So I think uh, – I think bigger and better things are on the horizon, Plumber. I completely agree. And you can get to us uh, by listening, obviously. And you can go to your provider, whatever you listen to Bleacher Blums on, and you can subscribe, rate, review, make sure you do all of that. Share the information with your friends and family. Get them on this podcast so you guys have something to talk about over the holidays or at the water cooler. You can also get to us at bleacherblums.com. And we've got swag, we've got stories, we've got uh, pictures of David Tuttle up there, but we also have links to the podcast, both current and past uh, archives are on there if you want to get at us on that. But there's also a, a portion of that website that allows you to get into the mailbag and actually get to David Tuttle and I. And we have done a very good job of getting some of those mailbag pieces on our podcast and we've also wanted to tell everybody who does write in on the mailbag you're doing a great job we appreciate you the consistency has been great i know tuttle's got a couple more but just a quick update if you want to get onto bleacherblums.com and go to our store we have hats we officially have hats and they're pretty legit they look great i wear mine frequently and we also have some t-shirts we got some christmas t-shirts with the santa hat on truth be told Dave Tuttle is actually wearing his Santa hat right now, currently on the podcast. It'd be awfully nice if he took a screenshot of that and fired it out on his Instagram, where you could hit him up at Real David Tuttle, also on Twitter at Real David Tuttle, and of course myself, Blummer, on both 
Instagram and Twitter, you can hit me up at Blummer27. And of course, this is where Tuttle takes off. He has gone through and uh, disseminated and discriminated against which questions we're going to take on the mailbag. So I'm going to let you take it from here, Tuttle. Um, I don't. Before we get to the mailbag, how has your week been? That's one thing I almost screwed up. Is I got to bring you in and try and figure out how your week has been going for you, David. Yeah, we'll get better at that. We should catch up. We we typically catch up off uh, off air, and then we uh, then we got to figure it out on air. It's been great. Uh, Christmas is speeding uh, rapidly towards us, uh, faster than a sled with full of full of presents. I, uh, I think you mentioned last time it was our one year anniversary. And I realized that one of the first podcasts we ever did, we talked about elf on the shelf, our, our elf red. And, um, you know, you have four daughters and they're, um, all older than my kids. And I think we're coming in on the end of the elf on the shelf. My daughters are both 10. And, uh, no, I mean, gosh, (laughs) I railed against it last year. I cannot tell you how exciting it is. I think, it's it's turned from like what did the elf do? What did the elf do? They're like, did you see the elf today? Look, he's over there. We can't even do this because he's hanging from that or he's leaning on that. It's kind of like, oh, the elf didn't move last night, which that's what we oh, talked about before. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, it didn't move. I wonder uh, maybe he had trouble getting down from the the lamp or something. I don't know. So or I he think had the, too many sodas. Yeah, that's right. Or yeah, I went to bed earlier than the children, which <laughs> happens often too. So. Yeah, so the holiday stuff is kind of speeding on us. I appreciate you bringing me in. We do have a great mailbag, but uh, I guess we can talk a little bit about the holidays. So this year, I had a row of lights that wouldn't light on the Christmas tree, and we have the past five years we've had the tree, the um, the fake tree. We have the same tree, so it's been great. Five, six years, same tree. The lights look great, but there's that one little row that won't come on, and I was trying to figure it out. My daughter, ten years old, again, I mentioned you, and I'm and I'm fiddling with the branch and I'm doing this and my elbow hit. So one of the bulbs had broken and I didn't see it. And the little two copper wires are sticking out. And I got zapped and I went, Oh shit. You know, and my daughter's sitting there like, you know, I'm like, son of a biscuit. You know, I got all kinds Fudge. of things. And I found the light. There we go. So I replaced the light bulb and the light still didn't go on. So we have the all white light tree. So I had an extra strand of white lights. I plugged it in. We plugged them all in on the same outlet, and I just looped it around the ones that aren't out. That are, I'm sorry, that are out. And now from afar, you can't even tell. The tree is. I got another ten years in that baby. Brilliant. Well played, my friend. And that that's uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is your first daddy hack of the Bleacher Blums podcast. Congratulations for Tuttle getting it out there. But I am. I have. I found out early on when I had family and how special Christmas time is, but I found out early on that Christmas lights were going to be the bane of my Christmas season. Good right. Lord. I, so our, our house is two stories and we put lights on the house. We just do the edges like Tuttle was saying with the white lights. Our tree has white lights. I can handle the tree. I can handle the lighting on the tree, but I, I can't get up to these peaks that are feel like they're 150 feet off the ground. My wife doesn't want me to do that. Obviously, I have to provide for the family. So there are certain things that are that, ha- that are hazardous that my wife won't let me do. So we will pay somebody to light our house. The guy comes out, does a phenomenal job, plugs everything in. I mean, within two hours of this dude being gone from the house, guess what? A strand goes out. Ooh, I know, I know. I have the answer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, because you've been there. Yep. <laughs> and guess what? It's not, oh, I'm going to go try and figure this out. It's, hey, Jeff. 
lights are out. Go fix it. I'm like, oh, dude. So I go out there, breaker pops. All of a sudden, I'm trying to find different outlets to get it into. I'm not going up there. Thankfully, I have about, I've got to have about 37,000 feet of extension cord in my house over the years that I've accrued. So now I can literally, I think I could, I could literally plug all of my extension cords in and maybe rifle down about two houses down and plug it into an outdoor outlet in their backyard and steal somebody's electricity. That's how much extension cords I have. So I have finally, I have, I've fixed that riddle so far and it's been a pretty good holiday season for me, but the lights can be a severe issue for a father during Christmas time. I thought the one benefit of having somebody do it is to just call them up and be like, Hey brother, the, the lights went out. Will you come back out and fix them? I mean, we talked about Christmas vacation last time and the part that reminds me of my dad. I mean, it sounds like the Blummer house. You get a guy to put them all up, but then you have to go into the shed and plug the outlet and switch the switch and move this over and make sure the breaker's on. And I mean, that's why I think that's why you pay the guy to do it. So we got to You got to probably switch your protocol there. I don't know. Yeah, either that or I fear when the guy comes out, he's going to be, oh, that'll be 20 bucks. Oh, well, and all, you he did, yeah. all he did was, you know, flip the switch to another breaker and I'm sitting there going, dude. Yeah. But uh, a great right. deal of pride, too. You know, I got to be the guy to fix it. All right. Usually well, it backfires and I end up fixing the same problem I created. <laughs> that's most men in general. Um, that's another uh, bond that we have is you actually referred me to your guy who uh, used to be a trainer with the Padres to put up the lights. Yeah. That guy's made quite a few dollars off us in the past. So I know, Will, if you're out there listening. Dude. It, your rates, yeah, your rates need best. to, your, yeah, your rates need to hang though. <laughs> Mr. Lights are awesome, but you know, I don't, I don't keep raising the rates. No, he's been good about keeping it down. So, but he, yeah, he's adjusting uh, to that market. He's hit that honey hole out there in the, the South Orange County, man. Yeah, I think he still. I, he told me I ran into him recently. He told me he still does about 450 homes during the holiday season. So he earns his money, my friend. But if they go out, I have the. I used to, or we do. We have the icicle lights. And it's usually like two or three that go out of the strands. And he's like, I hate these things. And I'm like, hey, that's why you get paid the big bucks. You can come out with that little charger thing that he has. That and he's like, oh, yeah, I fixed it. And, it, you and as you said, it stays on for about six hours. Then it goes out. And then it just the holiday season's over. So, <laughs> all right. So let's uh, let's jump into the mailbag here. Um, that's enough banter about the holidays. I'm sure we'll get some mailbag questions regarding uh other people's trials and tribulations. We've covered Christmas vacation and our light outages. So um, enjoyed hearing your podcast after the brief holiday. This is Sherry. She's written in before, but she always has a lot to say, and uh, it's usually quite entertaining. Um, first point, I had a minor disagreement with my mom about Blum's education. I know he attended Berkeley, but details are sketchy. Did he ever graduate? Mom says, no way. I said it had to be close at least. What's the answer to that burning question? Let me read through the whole thing first, Blummer. Is that all right, or do you want to answer now? <laughs> no, go for it. All right, um, and then we can kind of have it. So second point, Lords of the Realm. After hearing about the book Lords of the Realm and Colin McHugh's 12-6 podcast, little plug for him, hello, I found a used copy and read that this past season. It's a fascinating history of the owners and players' relationship up to the mid-'90s. Have either of you read the book, and what is your opinion on it? What about having a book club thing where you both read it, then devote part of the podcast to discussing it and maybe include hmm, Colin as a guest? I don't know about that. No, I'm kidding. With questions sent in by podcast listeners who've read it. See, I'm not doing a good job of filtering all this. I don't know if that's a good idea. 
Um, I guess that covers it for the week. Thanks, y'all. Where is our photo of Alfred? Enough with the teasing. Show us Alfred. My family spent the Thanksgiving holiday at the lake house where we all taught the kids to play poker. We went with five-card draw. Funny how we all ended up doing the same kind of thing over the holidays. Yay, memories. That's so true. We did the blackjack and poker thing. That was funny. All right, so really two questions. The first one is about your education. The second one is about Lords of the Realm. You take the lead on this, Blummer. I'm all in. Uh, I have not read Lords of the Realm. I like the idea of a book club because I do read books, but usually I get into you know the 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 mystery thriller spy type things that I that I enjoy reading. And I have not read Lords of the Realm, but it sounds like something I should get on, considering I've been a part of baseball and I should read about the relationship because the CBA is coming up here pretty soon. But at the same time, I am smart enough to read. I was smart enough to get into college. And uh, unfortunately, I did not finish my four years to graduate at the University of California at Berkeley. I went for three years. I've got two semesters left. I'm not sure how many of my credits are still standing at the University of California. Things may have changed a little bit, but uh, I did not finish. I got drafted my junior year. I left and had every intention of going back to school. I was actually enrolled to go back to school in the fall of 1999. And then guess what happened? I got called up and the rest is history. So yes, I attended three years at Cal. I didn't have an outrageously great GPA, but I had enough to uh, stay eligible. And someday, maybe, possibly, with all of the internet and correspondence, I may be able to get my degree, but uh, I'm in absolutely no rush because I'm quite busy with four girls and a steady job and a podcast. Well, you covered all that. Uh, Lords of the Realm, I've actually read And then after I read Lords of the Realm, I I really enjoyed that book. I read um, uh, A Whole Different Ball Game. That's Marvin Miller's book about the player union. Yeah, that one's good as well. So, yeah, I enjoyed the book. And I think I I, I do like the idea of having a book club. I think that would be a possibility. It would be kind of fun for you and I to, uh, to, you know, I don't know about read, but (laughs) (laughs) I I do a lot of Audible these days. But it might be fun to kind of create a, a little... I don't know, tangential topic that we can get after. I, I, my mom just sent me a book that I just showed you, and you said you already have the book called uh, The Baseball Codes. I don't want to plug it yet because I haven't read it. But, yeah, there's certainly plenty of things out there to read. Uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I think if you and I did a book club, we would be talking more about – I read a lot of, like, Malcolm Gladwell books or, like, true yeah. crime books. I think we just get away from baseball, and that might get off topic. So I might have to read two or three things at the same time. But I think it's an excellent idea. Um, I'll see what I can do about the Alfred picture. Maybe I'll put one up on Twitter and, um, you know, share that with her. So I guess he's becoming a celebrity in his own right since he makes most of the an appearance on most of our podcasts. So. Yeah, he's been rather subdued so far on this podcast. I mean, he's literally on your lap chilling out right now. Yeah, he's he done is. a good job. Here he is right there. Yep. Oh, he's man. chilling. Good dog, Alfred. Yeah, good dog, buddy. Good dog. I wish he would just go away, though. It's kind of hard to concentrate. <laughs> All right. I'm kidding. I didn't, Peter, I didn't say that. Peter's I didn't call. say that, Alfred. <laughs> um, this is from Ken K. Ken K, I listened to your Thanksgiving podcast today, and I have a suggestion. Uh-oh. Suggestions instead of questions. I need to do a much better job of filtering. I'm kidding. For years, <laughs> it has seemed to me that Thanksgiving and Christmas, this is great, are too close together. We're giving this guy a form. There's Thanksgiving and bam, Christmas. For years, I've thought we should move Thanksgiving to the Canadian celebration of Thanksgiving, which next year, I believe, is Monday, October 12th. 
Then we would have two and a half months between the holidays. Okay, we won't have a Black Friday. Move it to Singles Day. At least think about it. If not national, let's get Texas to move Thanksgiving. All right. <laughs> well, hey, we gave, we gave Ken a forum. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Hey, eh? that doesn't sound like a good good idea, eh? Because if you <laughs> move if you move that to the middle of October, then then you run right into the Halloween. I don't want to go eating turkey to candy, man. It'll mess with my diet, eh? So oh, I think that, I mean, no offense, Ken, but I think you should just hork off, eh? <laughs> hork off, eh? That's a great Canadian accent. Yeah. I don't know how we let the uh, Canadian infiltrate the Bleacher Bums podcast. I'm going to be fired from uh, filtering this. So I it, personally, I like the idea of spacing it out. There's nothing worse than going into uh, buy your Halloween candy and bump into like Christmas ornaments. Like that drives me crazy. And, but you and I both talked about this on that last podcast. I mean, Thanksgiving is a little bit different because, yes, it's orange and black and it's turkey and all this. But anyway, it doesn't bother me. It's a way to wind down the year. And Thanksgiving doesn't seem to get in the way. I, I do understand his point, but I, I just don't like that it's a, it's how it's marketed. I don't mind the holidays too close together. Yeah, I don't think it's Thanksgiving's fault. I think it's exactly what Tuttle's talking about as far as the marketing aspect of it. And we hit on that last podcast where a couple of organizations out there will not put up any Christmas decorations until after Thanksgiving. And I do appreciate that idea, but it's all about making that money. It's all about having that flow go through your store. So what are you going to do? You're going to pump Christmas and get that thing going as soon as you can, because that's when consumers go out there and buy everything and you uh, go shopping for presents. But uh I'm I'm a huge Thanksgiving fan. I make a point, and I think my family recognizes it too, that uh, Thanksgiving is a good time to be grateful heading into that holiday season with Christmas coming up. And I, you know, for me, it's kind of it, this whole time of year is crazy because today, of all days, and I can't believe I didn't bring this up earlier, today is twelve twelve, and my oldest daughter turned sixteen today, and she totally you'll love this. Mia went and got her driver's license. I have an official like third driver in the house. And now that I'm saying it out loud, it's kind of shocking and scary as hell at the same time, knowing that she's going to be in a car by herself, driving around, hanging out with friends. So wish me the best of luck. Pray for her. But uh, so it goes Thanksgiving into uh, December 12th and a big one, too. Uh, Mia's going to be driving and then we head right into uh, Christmas season. So it's been kind of hectic. And maybe we should move. Maybe we should move uh, the new year too. Just f that and go like straight to the middle of late January for the new year. Yeah, the one problem, like you said, it, it, you know, you kind of mentioned it with your daughter's birthday. You can't really move her birthday. I think Thanksgiving has a significant, uh, you know, it's a significant <laughs> date on the calendar for a reason because that, you know, it's an actual event that happened on that day. So. Yeah. Uh, Christmas, the same thing. So anyway, it's it's kind of a it's not something you could just snap your fingers and move. There is, uh, um, I guess it's not the date. It's whatever. It's that third or fourth Thursday, Thursday of Thanksgiving, yeah. and Easter does the same thing, right? It's six weeks after. Mm -hmm. So I mean that those dates move all the time, but it has to be on that day. So it's not as easy as going. All right, we're gonna move the Canadian way of doing it. So anyway. Um, by the way, that was a, a bomb you just dropped kind of in the middle of mailbag, but uh, happy <laughs> birthday to Mia. And I know you had got her a car, so she's already ready to go. And she woke up this morning and was probably late to school, but drove herself to school. There's a pro and a con to that. And we will certainly uh, keep her in our thoughts and prayers as she drives around by herself for the first time. But it's like, hey, 
we need some milk and some onions from the store. Hey, Mia. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Go, oh, yeah. <laughs> Fire the car no up and get out what there. She's so. in for. <laughs> you're already like, uh, you know, mommy and Sisters daddy. Are at practice. Some... Can you go pick them up? Mommy and daddy had too much adult grape juice. Will yep. you please? Uh... No. Hey, I'm down at law. I'm down, I'm down at the local watering hole. And uh, yeah, could you come get dad again? So I did the St. Arnold's, uh, you know, meet and greet, and uh, you know, <laughs> can you come get me, honey? Okay, thank you. You're gonna take advantage of that. So. Yeah, exactly. All right, we we are so, gonna teach what DD means. You are now the designated okay. driver. That's awesome. So yeah, it'll be there'll, there'll be some positives I hope that come out of that. All right, we got two more questions. Um, this is from Ryan P. Ryan says, "Hey, Blummer and Tuttle, I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I appreciate the insight and perspectives you two bring to the show." enlightening us on a weekly basis. As someone who played baseball through high school after graduating college, I picked up golf as a hobby. So I have a few golf-related questions for Blummer and Tuttle if you play golf as well. Well, I don't play well, but I do play golf as well. And as a matter of fact, we're planning a little golf outing here as the holidays approach. Blummer's going to be out here on the uh, the left coast, so I'm excited about that. Um, what is your current handicap? I don't know if we want to share these things on the air. There's four questions. So what is your current handicap? Do you have a home or favorite course in the Houston area? And how often are you able to play with broadcasting and travel? Um, actually, you probably play more broadcasting and traveling <laughs> than you do in Houston. Uh, how long did it take for you to shake the baseball slice in your golf game? Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a true thing. Um, and bonus. Will anything surpass being at the Masters this year when Tiger won? So um, thanks again for all you guys do and bring to the show. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks, Ryan. That's a great. So. No, appreciate it, Ryan. That's actually, I love the golf talk. I, I'm actually currently sitting in front of the TV screen talking to Tuttle on this podcast, watching the President's Cup of all things, and Tiger is swinging the club extremely well. And it was nothing will match that just because he's one of our contemporaries and understanding the arc of his career and watching him win the masters was pretty incredible. Just the, the atmosphere, the aura around it. And then to have him do what he did was pretty incredible. I am, I'm, I, I flutter around a 10 to 14 with my handicap. Um, you know, if, if I'm striking the ball, well, I'm okay, but yes, I have accomplished beating the slice, but what that has done is turned a lot of my swing into a turbo hook. <laughs> so I do a good job of bringing the top hand over when I feel a slice coming and truth be told, um, but, well, my favorite course to play is Royal Oaks. I love playing Royal Oaks down here. Shadow Hawk is another great, uh, uh, course that I get to play. And yes, I absolutely abuse my, my name equity in the city to, to get onto some of these courses, truth be told. Uh, but at the same time, I want to get better because I play with Steve Sparks, who is, you know, he, sh he can shoot from par to 80. So he's a very good golfer. And then Todd Callis is a very good golfer. Also, he's a little more 80 to 90. But, uh, you know, I can go from an 80 one day to a, a 100 the next day. And that's where I get kind of frustrated is with the consistency. And I actually went to a lesson yesterday. I went to an hour and a half lesson with a guy I'd been following on Instagram. He's a huge Astros fan. So we kind of, I, I uh, direct messaged him, said, hey, do you have time? You know, I'd love to, I've watched your videos on Instagram, Scott House. If you're looking uh, for his name, it's H-A-U-S-E is his last name. But a great dude, great conversation. But went to a golf lesson for an hour and a half. I hit 10 golf balls. And it was probably the best golf lesson and the most I've learned in an hour and a half about the game of golf in my life. 
So I'm excited about it. I'm hoping to get that thing down. And of course, I'm doing this so I can get back to California and beat my Cali buddies' asses on the course. Um, you probably have a good chance of beating me. I haven't played in a couple of years, but uh, but years. John, John's another story. Yeah, I haven't played. I I normally play two scrambles a year, two uh, scramble tournaments. Um, I like the uh, the uh, Negu tournament. You know the Negu tournament. Mm-hmm. I think we played in that. Never ever give up. That that one's for a worthy cause. But this year I missed it somehow. My foursome dropped out. But uh, I'm I'm like you. I mean, I can shoot like anywhere from 85 to 95. So my 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 floor isn't quite as good as your floor, but my ceiling may not be as high. I haven't shot 100 in a long time. So I can shoot anywhere from 85 to 95. My best score ever is like 78, 79, 80, 81, somewhere in there. But similar to you, it's when I had a lesson and, you know, my thing is, so I would say my handicap's about a 15, 16, 17. There's an old golf joke, right? What's your handicap? Oh, that I play. That's my handicap that I play. But... uh <laughs> But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I find, and I think you and I have talked about this before when I get out on the golf course, the first time I go out, like when we go play, uh, over the Christmas break, I don't have any sort of expectations or pressure. So I'm not swinging too hard. It's nice and smooth. I'm keeping my head still. Like I actually play a couple really good holes. I'm like, Oh, this is great. Then I'm like, all right, well, you guys start hitting it out there a little ways. I'm like, I think I can get on one here. And then that's when it just goes south. And then if you actually have a good round and so you want to go out the next week, you're like, well, I played really oh. well last week. with No pressure and no sort of mental expectation. The next week you're like, oh, I did so well last week. I'm going to capitalize on that. And so it, it just goes a little it goes a little haywire, usually the second or third time I get out there. So I'm actually really looking forward to getting on the course uh, with you guys and uh and I think I know I'll hit uh, five or six good shots. And my my and this is the last thing I'll say about it. My nightmare is parring or birdieing the first hole because <laughs> I know I, I've got one or two of those in me for 18. If I do that on the first hole, the next 10 holes are going to be whew, scary. Yeah, I love it. Golf is hard. Golf is fun. I'll, I'll continue to play until I figure this thing out. It may be dead by the time that happens, but I love it. Yeah, I think a lot of folks have done that. So, um, all right, and last question. This is uh, a pretty good one because it'll hopefully put a little bow on um, the topic that we've covered in the last three or four podcasts. Jeremy P. Jeremy, uh, I think you guys have done an excellent job covering sign-stealing, the sign-stealing apocalypse. It's all fair until live cameras are involved. I have a family member whose best friend is a fairly recently retired MLB All-Star. He has played for many MLB teams, including the Astros, of whom he is not a big fan. Hmm. However, he told my family member, uh uh-oh, hearsay, I don't think that's acceptable in court. Uh, He told another family member that live video-assisted cheating has been prevalent at just about every team he has played on, including one team, not the Astros, who used buzzers in the back pockets of players to indicate off-speed. Um, if I am just a fan who has a secondary connection to a major league baseball player, doesn't MLB know this stuff is going on all over the place? So really good question, Jeremy. I appreciate it. We've, we've talked about this quite a bit, but I think, you know, you might have a little light to shed on that. I don't know. I mean, if it's happening, it's happening, but I, I retired in 2012 and I wasn't in the circle of friends that had the buzzers in the back pocket. So I can't speak to the electronic fact of it. But I know that uh, live in-game, you know, if there was a monitor visible, uh, you would be able to pick it up. Or if a pitcher came up, from, came down from the clubhouse and said, hey, I have their signs, you would obviously use that information. But uh, 
to the extent that the teams are using it nowadays, I'm unfamiliar with. And it's amazing to me that they actually have gone to the extent to have a buzzer system stuck in the, you know, to put in your pocket kind of thing. That seems pretty aggressive. Um, but it kind of leads into, you know, that question of, you know, aren't more teams doing it? And I agree with that phrase. And it kind of, I'll just get this out of the way now, because I was going to talk about it later when I was talking about the Astros, but news has come down that they're not going to announce this thing until after the first of the year. And I know for a fact they've interviewed everybody outside. Anybody affiliated with the Astros in the last three years has been interviewed. Now the question is, are they going back to interview certain people? And then after that question, who are they interviewing again outside of the Astros circle? So it's going to be interesting to me to see what consequences come down, because I feel like the longer it takes to get the consequence means the further they're reaching outside the Astros circle to see who else was a part of this or how far in depth they can get on some of this. The only thing I hope that happens is, and we all know that the Astros are going to get crushed. Somehow, some way, the news is not going to be good for the Houston Astros. What I want what I want to be made public, or at least I, I want it to be made, I want the Astros to be made aware or have them have the ability to see the evidence that they get. You know, I don't want to have them just wake up one day and go, okay, Jeff Luno, you, 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 you're suspended. Here's a draft pick. There's the money. Pay the fine. We're moving on. I don't, I, I, I think as a fan, we want to see some of the evidence. We want to see what was actually going on and how they came to that conclusion to put those consequences out there. So that's all I'm going to say for sign stealing on this podcast today. Um, but yeah, in, interesting that that is going on or has gone on in other organizations too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't think that's a shock at all. So I, I'm with you. That'll do it for the mailbag. We need a little, uh, we're going to have to start getting some sound effects, like a little door shutting, like <laughs> door shut. That's it for the mailbag folks. Maybe it's just going to be me. I did bird calls last time. I got, you know, little buzzers this time, you know, I don't know. We got to figure it out, but, uh, that's it for the mailbag plumber. Yeah, that's spoken like a guy who doesn't have to go through the audio and edit after post production. But we need yeah. a, to to do we need a better post production guy that has a little more sound effects. I agree with you in the sense it might spice things up a little bit and have some fun in there and and get those things done. But you know what? We have a website. We told you about it. It's bleacherblums.com and uh, just geek at solutions are the guys and gals who helped us out with that. And Just Geek at Solutions, they're an IT and computer repair company located right here in Houston where I live. They have over 40 years in providing excellent customer services, and they are geniuses. Obviously, they helped us with our website. They're maintaining it with us. And Just Geek at Solution, Solutions provides same-day service for those seeking computer repair, server repair, network service, laptop repair service, virus removal, and custom computer builds. They handle thousands of business clients as well as residential customers. Check them out. You can call them at 281-826-4357, or you can visit them on the interweb at justgeekitsolutions.com. So we appreciate Just Geek It Solutions. Check them out for all your computer needs. And that, of course, is going to lead us into some of the baseball talk. And how about I just slam dunk this one right on Tuttle. Garrett Cole signed. Nine years, $324 million. Comes out, I believe, to an estimated $35 million per year go yeah i mean the news keeps coming down I, i'm i'm i was shocked actually by the big number they were saying you know last year i guess upwards of 
Let's see, who was the guy last year? I can't remember. Anyway, Strasburg. Machado uh, and Harper. Oh, no, no, no. They were comparing it to the lefty in Boston, right? 217 price. Oh, D David Price. So, yeah. so it was two years ago. I'm so sorry. Or three years ago now. So Price did 217. And then Strasburg, two days ago, it was like 245. And they were like, all right. So Garrett Cole is going to be in the 270, 280, 290 range. He'll be, and 324 comes down. So obviously the market was there. Boris did his infamous, like, Oh, yeah, there's a top secret team involved in this, too. So, you know, there probably was. But, you know, I mean, the tactics should change a little bit. I mean, there, there are always people kind of in the last legs of things saying, all right, we would do this. Obviously, um, the Yankees went after him hard. And that's why the number was what it was. It sounds like the Angels and the Dodgers were in the mix as well. But um, that's a lot of dough. And regardless of where your heart was in terms of, um, like, oh, yeah, I'd love the Southern California weather. I grew up in Southern California. I mean, Jason Giambi grew up in California, too, but when the A's uh, weren't going to sign him and the Yankees came a-calling, guess where Jason Giambi ended up playing? He shaved his beard and said, all righty, you know, here I go. So I, I think that's uh, not too shocking when Cashman and the rest of the Yankees said that he was their number one priority. They obviously proved it, and... uh and he's a wealthy man, so the, the rich get richer. They say that often. But uh, I think, uh, you know, there was no way you can turn that down. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, there's no way you can turn that down. And I also think it was kind of a situation where the Yankees came in to the, to the offseason after two years in a row of losing the ALCS to the Astros. And they said, what are we lacking? And the most obvious glaring thing on their roster was starting pitching. They have a great bullpen, tail end of it. They have guys coming back. Aroldis Chapman has, has opted into his contract. He's going to be closing out games again for, the, again for the Yankees. But I truly believe that Cashman went in there after they've done a pretty good job of being frugal over the last couple of years and developing some of the young talent. I know Giancarlo Stanton is on their payroll. But at the same time, they've done a very good job of kind of pacing themselves, competing, almost getting to the World Series. But guess what? Garrett Cole's the X factor. And they said that he is the best pitcher in baseball, lowest ERA in uh, in baseball, or at least in the American League. I'm, I know that for sure. And also struck out the most hitters. So he has really turned himself into an ace and a guy who can be at the top of your rotation and deliver on a consistent basis. He hasn't had health, health injuries. Uh, so... I truly believe that it was the ninth year that really put them over the top. I think there were other teams in there at eight, maybe getting close, you know, the 285s, 290s, maybe a team said 300. And then all of a sudden the Yankees said, you know what, we're going to give you that ninth year. Anything, any way you want it, we will give it to you. There's an opt-out, I believe, after five years. So he has the option of opting out of that contract, but he would leave $145 million on the table. So I think you can go ahead and take that out of the situation and understand that Garrett Cole is going to be a Yankee for the rest of his life. He will retire a Yankee. And God bless him. I mean, he was in a perfect, uh, perfect situation as far as free agency is concerned. And he went out and got paid. Uh, here's an interesting thought. And uh, the Yankees, between Cole and Giancarlo Stanton, $65 million. That doesn't count uh, Tanaka and some of the other contracts at around $17, $18 million. So just between Garrett Cole and Giancarlo Stanton, they will be paying them $65 million a year. Two guys. What's interesting about that? That is more than six teams total payroll. $65 million for two players on the Yankees roster is more than six teams total payroll. Here's another anecdote. Over three days, Scott Boris, 
has negotiated $814 million worth of contracts. That's according to Jeff Passan, everybody's favorite. Unbelievable the numbers coming out of this winter meetings, man. So true. And and I will, I, this is going to sound like a dig at Scott Boris, but I don't care. But all the negotiating was done on the field. I mean, when you have Garrett Cole. And you know what's great about this? Hold on, Rendon, I'm going to cut you off. Oh, you, yeah. Garrett Cole, Rendon, these guys are in the perfect pocket. They've become free agents. They finish strong. They put up great numbers. All these guys have gone to the World Series, so they even have the postseason uh, repertoire to go with it. And thank God you said that because everybody's going to go, oh, Boris negotiated another great contract. But you've been on the other side. You've been on the agent side where you've had to dig on some of the numbers. But, yes, this is more for the player than it is Scott Boris, even though he's going to get some of the headlines. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I, well, I mean, everybody needs representation. You had an agent. I had an agent when I played. Uh, my point is, uh, anyway, I, you and I have discussed it off air. There was always some loyalty issues in the agent business, and it can get a little grimy in there. But Scott does all his work by, like you said, nurturing these guys getting the talent early on and then hoping that they'll stay with him as he goes. And maybe he has a, a, a formula for that. But Rendon was the seventh pick in the draft. Garrett Cole was a top two or three pick and Strasburg. Oh yeah. So Cole and Strasburg were the number one picks in the draft. So you have three guys that were a top seven pick in the draft. So these guys have always been excellent baseball players. They made it to the big leagues fast. They hit free agency at the right time. And I'm not saying that there's no skill involved in this. All I'm saying is when Boris goes into the room, does he really have to pull out a big pamphlet that says, like, this is what my guy did. This is how they stack up. This is how they compare. I know he does all the legwork, but I would have paid. I don't have the money. I would have paid, I would have paid Anthony Rendon to be my third baseman for seven years. Like, I don't know how much money I have here. I got, I got some pennies and nickels. Here you go, Anthony. But, yeah, I mean, so – I'm not trying to discredit him. Like I said, it sounds like a dig, and you already brought it up. But those guys, what they did on the field at the age they did it, this is kind of a monumental um, a monumental time in the game of baseball to have these type of guys. But it's not like these guys came off the, uh, the scrap heap. These guys have been the best players in amateur baseball and the best pair players in the big leagues for a while. So. Yeah, they definitely established a track record. And it's kind of these two contracts are actually kind of throwbacks to, you know, the Pujols's, Robinson Cano's. But when I when I was in the league, you you basically got paid for the previous year. Now analytics have kind of come into the game a little bit. So now you're being projected. This guy is projected to do this. And that's why they're at a perfect spot at 28, 29 years old to become a free agent after establishing a pretty solid track record. So now you have history, you have youth. And then you have projections, and all of those things just mesh perfectly for Rendon and uh, Garrett Cole, Strasburg, and these guys to get out there. I think, you know, the Cole situation is a little bit better for me just because the history track record of his is way better than Strasburg's, you know. But I would imagine that built in there, the Yankees have said maybe that there might be one or two years where he's not on the field. They obviously have insurance to protect themselves if, if a guy goes on the 60 day DL. So they may not have to pay the full share, full, full portion for that. But there are ways around that. But, yes, the game has changed a little bit. Now you're projecting what guys will be doing for you for the paycheck. Well, the, the injury thing is an interesting thing, right? You can say, well, Strasburg was a little injured early in his career, and they put him on a pitch limitation, and now he's ready to thrive. Garrett Cole's never been injured, so are True. we waiting for him to get injured in two years? Like, oh, my God, he's never had any sort of injury. So you can either say, well, his conditioning's great, his arm strength is great, or he's just a time bomb ready to blow. 
But like you said, he was in the perfect sweet spot. Uh, it really is supply and demand. And everybody that was in the market for him was going to pay him, as you said, seven, eight, or nine years. Here's another quick thought because I looked up some contracts. How happy are the Mets as they get good? So they got Jacob deGrom. Jacob deGrom's numbers, and you can do the math, five years, $137 million or $139 million. So the Mets are like, this is awesome. We have one of the top five pitchers in baseball for a bargain. And they did that. And that's, you know, that's the Bregmans of the world. Arenado, probably not such a bargain. But these guys sign early, so they give something back to the club in terms of years or dollars per year. And the club signs them to a long-term deal maybe before um, the rest of the market has a shot at them. So, but I, I, you know, the Mets look awesome right now with a Jacob deGrom for five years, 137 million. They didn't even have to get into the Garrett Cole sweepstakes and they have some money to get people like uh, Madison Bumgarner or something like that. So we'll, we'll see how that shakes out. I think that's a great call. It's incredible. And that's, you know, I think that's where last year's free agent market kind of set in with some of the younger guys because guys weren't getting paid. They weren't getting, you know, Dallas Keuchel didn't sign until the middle of the season. Uh, you know, uh, Craig Kimbrell didn't sign until, you know, just in, early in the season. So that kind of set set a standard where young players were kind of approached with these contracts or owners and GMs kind of recognized, well, you know, there's going to be some younger guys who look at the current situation and go, I don't want to be that guy. They want to have the guaranteed money early in their contract. So they buy out their uh, arbitration years get them a, maybe a year or two into free agency and they end up being steals like David Tuttle is talking about. I think that's a great point, but I also think that the market last year scared some of these guys into these contracts. And I wonder how this year is going to affect it moving forward. And with younger guys signing some of these club friendly deals and gee, golly got, you know, gosh, darn, what a shame. You're only going to make a hundred million over the next, you know, six years. So, I mean, it's not really a pity party. It's just more of a conversation on how GMs and owners have kind of manipulated the system to attract some of these younger guys. What do you got? Oh, it's just comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. I mean, we've we've touched on this early on in the podcast, me not having played in the big leagues. You know, my salary was significantly less than yours, but our trajectory to get where we were getting, we both played college baseball. We both got drafted our junior year and we both were on the same path. There, it, this can't be a pity party. I, I hate when people say, oh, yeah, you know, Michael Jordan has a gambling problem because he bet 50 grand on whether he'd make a free throw or not. Well, his 50 grand is like me betting you five bucks that you're going to make yeah. it. So I, I, to your point, like these team friendly deals, this isn't we're, ha we're we're talking about apples to apples, oranges, to oranges. This isn't boohoo. And these guys are making less money or more money. This is what does the market bear and who's doing the best um who's doing the best job of managing the salary cap and the money that they have to get the best team on the field. That's, that's really what this discussion is. And that's why I brought up Jacob deGrom. I mean, he's a bargain. So he, he is a bargain and, and, and good for the Mets. Good for him. He's going to get his money. And if he continues to be great after the five years, he's going to get more money. So he'll be fine. But at the same time, what you're seeing is these younger guys are signing these contracts, these extensions, and then you're seeing some of these more established guys go out there and they sign their big contracts like the Garrett Coles and Rendones. What gets lost in the mix is those middle guys. And those guys kind of get squeezed out because you've got superstar mega money. You have young superstar good money. And then you have rookie level, entry level types, uh, you know, positions for, you know, five, six hundred grand. Where, you know, at some point, the five million to ten million guys kind of get squeezed out a little bit because they can justify your job. I can take away 10 million from you 
and I can gamble on a couple of younger guys in my system. So it's I'm kind of curious to see. I know the union pushes for the market to be pushed on these guys, but the market that gets pushed are the superstars. It's the guys in the middle who are quality role player type ball players who are making the, you know, the the five to twelve millions where you've got to really say. Do we really need that guy? Is he that valuable at that price to put on my on my ball club? So it'll be interesting to see how that middle market kind of works itself out, or if they just continue to go young like they have in the past. Yeah, and and probably a final thought on this: you already brought up the fact that the Yankees are going to pay two guys sixty five million dollars. I mean, how can you not squeeze out the rest of the twenty five man roster when you got sixty five million dollars invested in two of these everyday players? And so, either those veteran guys, you're going to sign more kind of experienced veteran guys who are on their way out, or you're going to have to sign the young up and comer guy and hope give them an opportunity because the the guy that the guy that makes ten or twelve million dollars, you know, Josh Donalds Donaldson's probably still in the $20 million range and he'll be an integral piece. But in two years, three years, guys like that, they're going to be signing one year deals. I mean, even DD Gregorius is a, he's not an old salty vet, but he signed a one year, $14 million deal. If he plays well, you know, maybe he gets a bigger deal. If not, then he kind of becomes that utility type guy. That, that is the example I'm talking about. That, that's, I appreciate you, David Tuttle, for being on this podcast, number one. I also appreciate you bringing information like that because that's a great point. That's that guy that you desperately need on your team, but are you willing to go spend that extra $14 million to put him in on your roster and put him on your team? Because you are going to be better with that guy in your lineup. Uh, Rendon signed with the Angels, so we get to see a little bit more of him. And I'm kind of curious to see how the rest of the market shakes out because there are some still some very good names out there. I'm kind of curious, and I'm going to make a call on this uh, podcast right here, Bleacher Blums, with the Angels and getting an idea of what Artie Moreno is doing. And he's notorious for signing some of these ridiculous, ridiculously large deals. I think the Rendon one is going to pay off because just judging by what I've seen and what I've heard about Anthony Rendon, a quality dude, hard worker, plays the game right, whatever you want to say about him. I think he's got some Arenado longevity to him. So I think the dividends on that one's going to be good. It'll be nice to have him matched up or paired up with uh, Mike Trout in center field. But they need pitching. My God. I mean, the, the California Angels, uh, well, back when I was watching them, they were the California Angels. They, they need pitching. And here's a name for you, Dallas Keuchel. Keep an eye on him. Boris has a good relationship with Billy Epler, the GM in Anaheim. Dallas Keuchel has experience in the American League West, and he's another guy who signed that one-year deal like Tuttle was talking about, reestablishing himself as a, as a very good major league pitcher who maybe signs a short-term deal, a lucrative deal with the uh, Anaheim Angels and maybe provides them a little more stability at the top end of the rotation. So that's my call is Keuchel is going to go West. Yeah, you know, you've already kind of touched on this. The Yankees, I think the Angels are what the Yankees were two or three years ago, and maybe not with the depth, but basically they're going to figure out that they need pitching. Andrew Heaney is probably their number one guy right now, yeah. and they don't know how Shohei Otani is going to come back. Obviously, I read the Orange County Register today to be able to drop all these names quickly, but Shohei Otani is coming back from Tommy John, and we know he can hit, but is he going to be a three or four guy in the rotation, and how long will he last? Well, they, you know, that that's going to be an interesting dynamic, Great but if question, you get yeah. a... If you get a guy like Keuchel and Heaney and now Shohei Otani and you can add another arm to that staff, you know, maybe that's not a World Series championship team, but that's probably a playoff team. And then you can maybe get get after someone after a uh, couple years later. Uh, I'm thinking about Rendon and Trout in the same lineup, even with a, a veteran guy like Upton in there. That, that should be a pretty solid lineup. And I agree with you. I think Rendon and Trout 
are going to both have excellent years. It really depends on the kind of the, as we already touched on, the core group of guys that they put around them. So, Yep, that's good stuff about the free agent talk. It has an effect on the Astros and a lot of rumors coming out of uh, the Astro camp and winter meetings. You know, are they going to trade Correa? We had kind of mentioned it, I believe, a couple of podcasts ago talking about that. And what's interesting, just a couple of quick thoughts. I don't want to exhaust this because it's all just random, you know, rumors floating around. But we kind of floated the idea of, you know, trading Correa. Uh, Josh Reddick is another guy who has a large contract that they might be able to get rid of. But the interesting thing about Correa for me is the the reason you, the only reason you can even think about trading a guy like Correa is because of Alex Bregman. You have Abraham Toro who can play a little bit of third base if if you do end up trading away a guy like Correa because Bregman moves into shortstop so easily that it's it's such a great thing for the Astros to have two quality guys on the left-hand side of that infield. I'm not saying I want to trade Correa. It's just frustrating for me to watch a guy who has got absolutely some of the most incredible talent I literally have ever seen on the baseball field. And I was talking to my golf instructor the other day. You almost have more fun watching Carlos Correa play defense. And I think that's a credit to him and how hard he works and the talent that he has. But at the same time, the one number that keeps jumping out to me is games played. The four or five years he's been in the big leagues, he's averaging 97 games a year and still putting up 20 to 75. If he could play 140 games, you're going to get 10 more home runs and maybe 30, 40 more RBIs. And that's the guy you want to keep. If he was putting up those numbers, he ain't going anywhere. But now that he's a little bit of a liability, you're kind of questioning some things, you might listen to some offers on Carlos Correa. That, those are the, just a couple of quick thoughts on uh, some of the winter meeting rumors for the Houston Astros. Have you heard anything about John Carlos Stanton? Now, you mentioned the $65 million, but he could be a trade piece. He didn't play a lot last year, and the Yankees had quite a bit of success, and they kind of found some players. We talked mm-hmm. about this. Uh, They've got depth. They've got a lot of depth. He might be a guy that they could move. And I don't know if this was because the winter meetings are in San Diego, but I saw a couple tweets about Giancarlo becoming a Padre. That would be an interesting, you know, an interesting lineup to add him because the Padres, they went back to the brown and yellow, which I love. They're trying to make a lot of changes. They got a new manager. Um, you know, I, the problem with the Padres is they had a good run with Bochi uh, and Tony Gwynn, but it's different than having a storied franchise. You know, they're kind of like, they want to get back to being winning baseball, but when have they ever really had consistent winning baseball? I don't know if that's, if that's in the cards for them, but getting a guy like Giancarlo Stanton would obviously free up some payroll for the Yankees. So that's a rumor I heard floated. I don't know if it's valid or not, but uh, anyway, we could sit here and talk rumors all day. So (laughs) I wanted to talk about um, at Ram shirts, which is the parent company of crush city tees that makes the bleacher blums t-shirts. So they're working on a post here for the end of the year inventory blowout. They're going to put it on Instagram. Um, they're going to have limited stock uh, to get rid of, and they'll print just about anything you want on the available T-shirts they have for $10. Of course, this excludes the Bleacher Blums T-shirt and the custom Crush City-specific T-shirts. Pay but, us. Yeah, pay <laughs> us. But obviously, he has some T-shirts, and if you guys have any corporate stuff or corporate logos or fun like family T-shirts you want to make for Christmas, there's limited stock to do uh $10 t-shirt via at Ram shirts on Instagram. Uh, I believe you can either direct message him or get on the website at Ram shirts or at crushedities.com. I don't have all the specifics there, but if you give him a follow at Ram shirts on Instagram, I'm sure you'll find the details. And uh, I just want to make sure I got that into the podcast plumber. 
No, he's a good guy to follow because you and I are pretty busy and we try to keep everybody up to date with what we've got coming out as far as T-shirts, hats, uh, amongst other things. But at the same time, if you follow at Ram Shirts, he, they actually do a very good job of keeping you up to date with what uh, Bleacher Blums is coming out with. And they've got some great styles in there, too. And we appreciate them keeping those local businesses going. Uh, appreciate that, Reed Tuttle. And we are done with baseball. And everybody enjoys this. Alfred is on the lap of David Tuttle because Alfred does not want to miss this segment. What'll Tuttle say? Right on. I got another get off my lawn segment today, folks. So if it wears That's you out. That's the sound I need to get is like some grumpy old man go, get off of my lawn. So my favorite skit was uh, Saturday, Night, Saturday Night Live. I know Dana Carvey is one of the guys where they say, you know, back in my day, back <laughs> in my day, we didn't wear seatbelts. You got in an accident. You flew out the windshield. And you got back in the car and you drove away. Like, you know, that's the get off my lawn guy. That You got to see that good. skit. It's the best. So, um, you know, we are in football season. It's in full swing. Our fantasy football team is uh, now we have to take the field again this week. We had a bye last week. We picked up some players and shuffled some stuff around. Um, I even had to send Blum an unintended text message to allow me into the, the <laughs> you know, the website. And I realized, oops, I have my own login. So, you know, fantasy football is in full swing. But my what will Tuttle say comment today is – about the Monday night football commentary. So when this podcast started good 48, 49, 50 podcasts ago, I was crushing Jason Witten. And we all know that Jason Witten ended up going back to play tight end for the Cowboys. And what they, I believe they marketed was that, Hey, we're going to get Booger McFarlane off that little truck on the side that blocks everybody. We're going to put him in the booth. And now we've got Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarlane, and they're going to be outstanding commentators on Monday night football. And, <laughs> I, I am. Tough, I grew up. I yeah, but I grew up in this watching Monday Night Football in the seventies and eighties. Now let's preface it by saying Monday Night Football was an actual event back then. That was the primetime game, and now we have yeah. Thursday night game. As my wife gladly points out, there's a Thursday night game, a Sunday night game, all Sunday, and then Monday, Monday night. And you know, but Gruden did a fairly good job of kind of keeping us engaged. But Frank Gifford, Howard Cosell. I grew up listening to Howard Cosell. He was the best. And I think we're probably at this crossroads of a new frontier. We have to find a way. I mean, we have Hulu and we have all these, I guess there's a sports uh, specific one, um, you know, Netflix, all uh, YouTube TV. There's all these different avenues. Some marketing executive, some genius out there has to capitalize on making it an event again. I mean, Monday Night Football is kind of, I saw you yawn there. It's like, yeah. It's a big, it's a big yawn, man. It's a, it's an absolute yawner. And matchups too. Oh yeah. What well, I mean, games. I mean the Giants, Eagles. I mean five and five versus Bruh. two and nine. Yeah, they used to be able to not on Monday Night Football, but they used to be able to like they're flexing those games now. This is going to be the Sunday night game. I don't know if they have to flex the Monday night game or. Let's get the geniuses in the room and figure out, all right, these are going to be the good teams, even if it's just a rivalry game. Put the Jets-Giants on Monday Night Football. At least you'll get all of New York to watch. And they can talk about Joe Namath and, you know, the butt fumble and Joe Pasarczyk, and, you know, they can do whatever they want. But Or Lawrence Taylor. I just... The commentary is not good. It's not drawing in the audiences. And I think they're missing 
a huge opportunity, right? We keep talking about revenue. This isn't about, um, like you said, the matchups would help, but having a personality in there and making that primetime game what it used to be, like I said, it's a get off my lawn speech, but let's get some, let's get some life back into Monday Night Football and make it worth its salt. Sounds like you want Joe Buck on Monday night. Hey, I don't mind Joe Buck. Oh, man, that's going to stir the pot right there. I, I like know. it. That's why that. <laughs> I mean, is Joe, are Joe Buck and Troy Aikman the best guys to listen to as well? No. My favorite guy is Romo. If the Jim Nance and Tony Romo did Monday Night Football, that'd be great. I th- Tony Romo's awesome. That's I mean, we actually, said that before. No, we, we have. And I think that's actually a good call. And I just solved it. I solved it. All, all this, crack the code. Know, Everybody shut it down. We're, yeah. we're going national. This was just brainstorming yep. on the podcast, and I've solved our problem. Let's get Jim Nance and Tony Romo on the Monday Night Football pod, or podcast uh, broadcast, <laughs> and uh, and we're good to go. Yeah, I just it wears me out. No, I think it's a good a good call, and I and Jim Nance has done big events, done the Masters, you know, so he understands the gravity of the game and the presentation and the 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 pomp and circumstance, so he can bring some life to it and some energy. And then you've got Tony Romo. What I like about Tony Romo, even Troy Aikman to an extent. And even, you know, some of the local guys that I hear every once in a while is I want you to be able to not just predict the play, but I also want you to be able to explain why the play didn't work or why or what the other team did to counteract the play. You know, the, the part, you know, Tessitore, whatever, he, he's a voice, he's a play-by-play, he, he sets up the the analyst to, to get in there. But Booger McFarlane, for me, a couple of times, I know that there were two, team, two bad teams playing. I'm sick of, I'm sick of Eli Manning. You know, I mean, we tried to resurrect that guy's career Monday night, which was a truly remarkable feat by them to try and produce that. But then you get Booger McFarlane just saying, that was awful. That was a bad play. He didn't do his job. Tell me what he didn't do. Pretend that I'm an idiot, which I am kind of in football. Tell me why it didn't work. Or tell me what the other guy did great to make what you didn't do that much worse. Don't just sit there and leave me hanging like, I, my, my layman eyes can look at a play and go, yeah, that kind of sucked, but I'm not in the booth and I'm not experienced enough to tell you why it didn't. That's what I try and do in our broadcast. If it takes a bad hop, I'm going to tell you that it took a bad hop or his footwork, you know, tell me about his footwork or tell me how he could make it better. You know, just the, the overall just sense of negativity. And one last thing about this, and I'm not picking on Booger McFarlane because I obviously understand how hard it is to, to, to broadcast, but not even on a national level. That's extremely hard, the criticism. But when that dude, when they put them on camera and they put that dude on his hands on camera, I want to vomit. He's got like four knuckles going eight different ways when he puts his hands out there trying to explain some stuff. And all of a sudden I see this just, you know, this mangled hand dangling in front of me. And I'm like, Ugh. Yeah, he should tape his knuckles before the broadcast like he did for the games, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I agree with you. I don't even crush Booger McFarlane. I just mean there isn't this excitement that goes with it. But, I mean, it's a difficult job. You know that better than I do. Um, it's a respectable job. They do fine, but I think you're right. It's it's And Joe Buck, Troy Aikman, I mean, I don't love Joe Buck or Troy Aikman. Troy Aikman actually is a great analyst, as you pointed out, as is Tony Romo. And there's plenty of good analysts that, like you said, not only tell you what happened or what's going to happen, but then why it didn't work or why it worked. And this is what happened, you know, in this play with the double coverage and they moved, they were in cover two and this guy moved and you're like, oh, okay. It's sometimes it's over your head, but they will, they're typically able to explain it. Um, I just, I really, obviously Howard Cosell, Frank Gifford, um, even John Gruden, to an extent, these guys had personality, and the personality part of it 
is what what I enjoyed. And I just think it's so funny that we spend so much time and energy and money like talking about how to market this product. And Monday Night Football has one of the storied kind of like foundational, you know, pieces in sports uh, television. And, you know, it seems to be just kind of just another thing now. And I'm not impressed. And uh, I think they could do better. So that that was my Weddle Tuttle say. And you also you, you rebutted your Tuttle what'll Tuttle say with uh, the Jim Nance, Tony Romo. So if, you know, I don't know what the contract situation is, but CBS better lock those guys up for quite a while because they are doing a good job and it would be appealing to bring some of that uh, enjoyment and ceremonial type game to Monday night. But the matchups for me are killing me. Even some of those Thursday night games that they're trying to promote. I sit there and I go, yeah, I'm not going to watch the, you know, the Falcons and Tampa Bay go at it in their bright red and, you know, whatever uniforms I'm, I'm out. But uh, yeah, how many times doesn't it seem like every Thursday night game is Jacksonville versus Carolina? And you're like, <laughs> eh, you know, it's OK, but it always seems like it's those two teams. Nothing against them. I mean, they like you said, they got to pump up McCaffrey and maybe Minshew the second. But it's just kind of, you know, how many times can we see those two teams go at it with nothing on the line? It's like, please. Yeah, that's that's actually a great point, too, is you, you wonder if they could adjust it so you could have a little more, uh, you know, consequential games later in the season but good job Tuttle good job being a little more edgy with the Monday Night Football call and I'm Blum and Blummer is going to be really quick huh. I expected the Rocky Mountains to be a little rockier than this I was thinking the same thing That's Jeff Blum's full of shit man and I'm not going to try and get emotional or sentimental about this thing I'm just going to tell you that getting old sucks and it sucks for so many reasons. Um, my body hurts. I think I'm an ex-athlete still, and I try and do stupid stuff. I'm, I'm in the garage, cleaning out the garage, and I'm, I see these PVC pipes that I need to throw out, put in the recycling bin, and uh, they're too long to fit in the can. So I'm like, dude, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break these down and put them in there. So what would the normal human do? They'd get the pipe cutter, cut the pipe nice and easy, put it away. I'm like looking around by myself and I go I karate I'm... kid baby <laughs> you called it <laughs> so I'm sitting there and I'm like I'm gonna snap this bad boy over my knee and I of course I try the first one and guess what it does it bends it doesn't even break so I'm like oh, I was kind of anticlimactic climactic climatic climactic yes thank nice. you very much I made the adjustment yes I'm not lackadaisical in my pronunciations <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that before the show but uh so I take the second one and I'm like, well, this isn't going to do much, but I'm going to do it anyways because it was effective and it fit inside the trash can. So I bring the, I bring my knee up, I bring the PVC pipe down, and bam, this thing snaps into like 9,000 pieces like a shattered windshield and shrapnel everywhere. I, I close my eyes and I open them up and there's just PVC everywhere. And I'm holding these two little sticks in my hand of PVC pipe. And I and it and I felt a piece kind of hit me in the face, and I said to myself, "Man, I'm glad I closed my eyes because I didn't have my readers on, I didn't have my protective eyewear on, and I'm as I'm sitting there thinking to myself, going, "Man, I'm glad I didn't take out an eyeball because that could have been dangerous." All of a sudden, I feel this warm drip down the end of my nose, and blood starts coming off the end of my nose, and that is why I have a a, a scab on the top of my nose right now because I'm old. I think I'm 25. I'm not. And I do, I still do stupid stuff that I'm unable to account for. And I pay the price now. 
So getting old sucks. My judgment is way off. And I'm also getting to the age where a lot of my friends are having some health, health issues and I don't like it. I'm not prepared for it. So I just want everybody out there to understand that at any given moment, a PVC pipe can blow up, cause a scar, be thankful for that scar because there's a lot of other stuff going on out there with your friends and family. And that's the part of getting old that sucks for me is seeing my, my buddies and my friends and family get old too. But uh, make sure you give everybody a hug at the end of this podcast and let them know you love them. Oh, bummer. I like how you turn that sentimental. I, uh, I, I do that constantly. And I think what happens is our brain thinks we're still the same age. And so when you're 21 or 22 and you break a PVC pipe off your uh, knee and it hits you in the face, you're like, huh, that was stupid. I won't do that again. And now you're 45 and you're like, oh, this PVC pipe, the first one bent. Like, I mean, how many times do I'll even take off my shirt like aggressively and then you bring it down on the, you know, oh. and on a door, on a towel rack. And you're like, oh, my elbow. Like yep. you saw the towel rack. It was there. You know why? You, you know, put it there. Yeah. I mean, it's sitting right there. It didn't move or you run into something or stub your toe. And yeah. And the funniest part is when no one's around. You know, oh. it's kind of like if somebody's upstairs, like, honey, are you talking to me? You're like, no, I'm talking to myself. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're under your breath, like, blah, 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 blah. and that's a, that starts the old man curse. You know, it's like, no, I'm just in the basement talking to myself and I've got blood coming out of my nose. I, Dude, I am laughing so hard because <laughs> that is exactly what yeah. I went through. I was the only one at the house, yeah. snapped that thing, and I'm going, you son of a motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, dang, my nose. <laughs> yeah, now I'm bleeding. And then you laugh because you're like, no one saw that. Is somebody videoing this? Please, I told, yeah. and, I, and I hate to jump in the Blum and Blummer. We're uh, we're running oh, over well. time, but guess what? It's a podcast. We don't have to worry about the time. Um, I was telling my wife this. I felt like I was being videoed on Candid Camera the other day. So Cox sent me an email. Cox is our uh, internet provider services, you know. So Cox, uh, what's up with the President's Cup there? I see you glancing at it. What's going on? I think they're showing replays of Tiger uh, hitting out of the sand, which pisses me off because he puts it like three inches from the cup. It's hey, not no, normal. You should, learn, you should learn from it. So anyway, I, I, you know when they do this, they, it's kind of a, a self-serving upgrade, right? You're going fine with my modem and my router. Well, now Cox now has this modem and router in one. It's like this tower they send you. And they're like, hey, you've been a customer for 10 years paying us you know, millions of dollars. We're going to send you a free modem router. I'm like, great. So they explain in this very easy to like hook up thing. And this is your point about talking to yourself and feeling like you're on video and being kind of like. Rah, rah, rah. So I called it or I didn't call. I plug it in to hook it up the way it is. The light goes on. Everything's fine. And I'm like, this is great. All right, it's gonna, it should be working. And you're supposed to open up a browser at some IP address and then set up your network, and it won't do it. So I call tech support. They say, oh, this is above, and I'm going to tell the quick version, above and beyond my scope, I'll send you to the next guy. So they send me up the ladder, and some guy gets on, and he's like, hello, hello. And I'm like, hey, yeah, I had you on mute. I said, uh, I said, yeah, I was just talking to Carla. Are you the new guy? He, she goes, he goes, yeah, yeah. And I said, Carla didn't like fill you in on anything or like she didn't. I thought she was going to stay on the line with us. He's like, nope. And he's like, can I get your uh, pin number and your address? I'm like, no way. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, are you, you're joking, right? And, I'm, and I, so I give him all the stuff again. And he goes, yeah. So uh, I just want to let you know before we get into the nitty gritty, like our system is down. So once the router goes up, our system's been down for four hours. And so you can't get it. I'm like. This bo this modem's been sitting in a box at my front door for two weeks, and I picked 
10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning to hook it up. And you're he go, yep, it's been down since 9 o'clock this morning. It should be back up at 2 o'clock. So I picked the only five-hour window that your system's ever been down to, like, hook up this thing. So if I did it yesterday, it'd be fine. He goes, yep, if you did it yesterday, it would have been fine. I'm like, you're, you're joking, right? I'm look looking over my shoulder like somebody's videoing me, right? Because it's the same thing that happens when you do stuff by yourself. And I hope that people get a kick out of this because it's uh, – it's it's happening more and more, and I want to blame myself, but then I'm thinking, no, there's somebody that's videoing this and, and making fun of me. Yeah, so just know, everybody listening to this podcast, we are with you. Strength in numbers. We are all having the same issues that you are, and right. uh, we get to talk about it and enjoy it a little bit, but uh, it's kind of a slow week for Don't Bet on it. I'm not sure if you're going to get on it. Probably, are there any, uh, there's no more conference games if, as far as college is concerned, I don't think, but uh, yeah. you got any NFL games you're going to holler about? Yeah, I got a couple pro games, and obviously, Blummer, we got to get on our fantasy football. We got to win this week. We can't just yeah. coast by. You know, it's not about the record now. It's win. You know, one and done. We got to play. So uh, hopefully, it goes well for us. We got uh, Drew Brees behind uh, behind center again, and we've got the the usual suspects. So hopefully, we can pull it off. Um, yeah. So the don't bet on it segment. <clears throat> pardon me. I've got two picks for you, and again, we don't put a lot of depth around this. Uh, I'm going to take the Jets plus 16 and a half. I think they're playing Baltimore. Baltimore is the most on fire team in football, but they've kind of locked up. Uh, well, they're the number one seed. I don't know if they have it locked up. Home field advantage is theirs to take, but I don't think they, the Jets have been on a roll. I don't know if the Jets, you know, 17 points, who knows? So I'm going to take the Jets plus 17 because I don't want you to bet on it. And Cleveland, everybody's darlings. We're going to take Arizona Cardinals plus three to beat Cleveland, who's going over to Arizona. I love home dogs, home underdogs, so I, I wouldn't bet on it. And I do have a closing thought with the don't bet on it segment as I race through this. Um, my brother doesn't text me very often, but today he's like, <laughs> hey, you're not doing so hot on your don't bet on it segment. He's like, you got to get better. And he goes, you should talk about what your record is. And I said, I think you must have missed a few podcasts because I was yeah. talking consistently about my record. I've been two out of three, like eight podcasts in a row. Then I won three out of three, so I'm above 67%, almost at a 68, 69% rate. If you're doing that in the world of betting oh, or not betting, you're doing fine. Then I lost three, and then I was two out of three, and then it was two out of four, so 50%. So I'm hovering right around that 66, 67, 68%. That should be good for anybody, especially if you're not betting on it. So a shout-out to my brother. I'm doing fine. If you're putting money on it, you're ahead of the game, and that's all I got to say. Nicely done, Tuttle. Yeah, we're always good for calling out the family and just driving that bus right over them. So, yeah, pump yourself up, dude. You've done a great job, man. You should be proud of it. And that's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. And, of course, every podcast we want to say thank you to the military, home and abroad. We thank all of you for putting yourself out there and sacrificing so much, especially during these holiday seasons, away from your family, putting yourself in harm's way and keeping us safe here at home. All the first responders, God bless you. And uh, may every, you know... May everybody watch over you and appreciate everything that you're doing as far as uh, protecting us here at home and being the first to come to our aid if need be. Before I say the infamous words, Tuttle, you got any parting shots? No, uh, I believe. Are we going to get another podcast in before Christmas? Uh, we yes. should, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah, next we week got we're to. on. Yeah, we'll get one then, in. So, so we got to talk about what we're going to do because I'm going out to California for. Uh, 
for Christmas, and Tuttle and I are going to be side by side on the 27th. Maybe we record a podcast right there in the golf cart. Ooh, that might be fun. We could just do hole by hole. Yeah, there you I don't go. Know if that'll, I don't know if that'll excite the folks, but each time we hit a bad shot, we're uh, we're gonna have to do some, you know, cut out some expletives and special episode silence. Yeah, silence the popping of the Coors Light tab and whatever else we got going on. But uh, yeah, no, I, I as long as we get another one before Christmas, I'll save some thoughts for that. And uh, Blummer, always great to be with you again. Shout out to the first responders, military. Hope many of you get to come home for the holidays, and if you don't. You get to Skype and uh, and stay in touch with your loved ones. But uh, we really appreciate you and uh, really enjoy the podcast, Blummer. So remember, folks, don't bet on it and listen to what Blummer has to say. Yeah, great job, Tuttle. Before we let you go, we want all of you to get after it. Most of all, believe it. 